Good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining our live stream. Would you please join us in worship here at the chapel? Let's sing, Jesus, you endured. Jesus, you endured my pain. The Savior, you bore all my shame. All because of your love. Maker of the universe. Broken for the sins of the earth. All because of your love. All because of your Because of your cross, my debt is paid. Because of your blood, my sins are washed away. Now all of my life I freely give. Because of your love, because of your love, I Innocent and holy king. Innocent and holy king. You died to set the captive free. All because of your love. Lord, you gave your life for me. So I will live my life for you, all because of your love, all because of your love, because of your cross, my debt is paid, because of your blood, my sins are washed away. Now all of my life I freely give Because of your love, because of your love I live Sing, you did it for me You did it for me You did it for love It's your victory Jesus, you are enough. You did it for me. You did it for love. It's your victory. Jesus, you are enough. You did it for me. You did it for love. It's your victory. Jesus, you are enough. You did it for me. Did it for love, it's your victory, Jesus. You are enough because of your cross. My debt is paid because of your blood. My sins are washed away. Now, all of my life, I freely because of your love because of your love and because of your cross my debt is paid because of your blood my sins are washed away now all of my life I freely give because of your love because of your love I
for changing hearts, for changing cities, for changing nations. God, we praise you. We magnify your name. We extol and glorify your name. We lift your name up. Lord, I am reminded as we have worshiped this morning that you are holy and fully capable of restoring our country, of healing wounds, of binding up what has so long been broken. And God, may you do that today. May you do that today. For those who are watching from their homes, God, whose hearts are heavy with what they see in the news, with what they've had to bear, with what they've had upon their shoulders their whole lives that has been hard to speak about. Lord, we ask that you would reach in and you would remind each of them that you are sufficient, that you see them, that you hear them, that you know them. Your word says you're the God who sees and the God who hears. And you will bring healing. So Lord, forgive us where we have been blind to what has divided us, where we have been blind to privilege that some have and some don't. Forgive us, God, and heal our nation. Heal our hearts. Make us soft to correction. And may we be the first to go and say that we're in the wrong, that we're sorry, that we want repair, that we want restoration, that you are a God of relationship, that you are perfect and we are not but that we can put on the righteousness of Christ and walk in that righteousness. God, I just thank you for this time of worship and that you have heard our prayers. You've heard the prayers of your children. And God, I pray that you would use Pastor James to continue this message that we've started through worship, Lord, and to speak into every home and every heart about a liberty that is found only in Christ and that it is something we can take hold of today. It's not something we have to wait for. It can be found today. It's ours today. And I pray that your truth would go forth, Lord, and that it would change us. That we would be changed, God, and we would be agents of change in our society and in our community. In Jesus' name, Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, good morning, everyone. Would you turn in your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 14? Genesis chapter 14. We, uh, several months ago, were in a series of messages that were studying the life of Abraham. And as we were looking at the life of Abraham, we called it a journey of faith. And many months ago, we had an opportunity to begin that series and talk about Abraham's journey of faith, beginning by God pulling him out of a land um, and calling him to a new place. And, and there was a lot of fear and trepidation that, that Abram had, but Abram followed God. He trusted God, God's word. He followed him. And as he heard God's word throughout this time, what we found was that Abram trusted God, followed through on obedience to God. He trusted in the person of God. He trusted in the promises of God. He trusted in the performance of God, and he followed through. You know, we would see in a number of those passages, as you look from Genesis chapter 11 and forward, we found times where Abram struggled in his life. He would make some terrible choices at times in his life, and we will see others that he will do. And thankfully, Abram's salvation and Abram's trust was not based on his up and down performance, his shaky performance. It was based on God, God's person, God's promises, God's performance. That's where the grounding of his salvation came. As we got to the end of chapter 14, what we found was Abram, who had been 
in essence, cheated by his family member, Lot. And then Lot had been um, taken captive. And Abram went out there and rescued Lot from this nation. And amazingly, this old man, 75 or 80 years old, is out there rescuing his young, his young family member. And it's, it's amazing what God was doing in Abram's life and transforming it through Abram's life. At the end of chapter 14, we see that he has this encounter with Melchizedek, this, this king, this priest king that was there at the time. And the writer to the Hebrews talks about Melchizedek as well in the future. And so what we see in Abram's life is a, is a life that has been called out of darkness and to light, out of, out of a idolatrous nation to a relationship with God and a trust of God. And at the end of chapter 14, we find that Abram said, uh, that Melchizedek said this, Blessed be Abraham, my God's most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who delivered your enemies in your hand. Um, and that was in chapter uh, verse 19 and 20. So once again, we see this God who has captured this man and then did something amazing in his life. Abram received a promise from God many years before. The promise from God was that God will do something amazing in Abram's life and through Abram's life. So today, I, I want you to think about assurance. I want you to consider how oftentimes it is that you may lack assurance in your life. And I want you to hear the promise that was promised to Abram many years ago. That promise that was promised to us in Christ many years ago. That promise still stands today. Would you pray with me as we begin? Lord, as we, as we enter this time... As we look at Abram's journey of faith, his journey of faith was not easy. There were ups and downs. There were delays. There were terrible choices on his part. There was being swindled and cheated. But then there was a God in person, a God in promise, a God in performance that never left him. Lord, I pray today, as we go through our trials and our troubles, and our difficulties, as we see the struggles in, in our families, as we see the struggles in our communities, as we see the struggles in our world, Lord, help us to see that the greatest struggle that humanity has is whether they trust in you or not. And when they don't trust in you, Lord, I pray that we would see all the consequent things that are going to happen. But I pray that they would recognize that in a trust of you, as they believe you, you will give them something that is beyond earthly things. You will give them heavenly, eternal righteousness that is theirs, that you have granted to them through the precious blood of your son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So as Abram got this opportunity to hear this promise from God, and the promise goes all the way back. If you want to flip back to chapter 12 and verses 1 and following, in chapter 12 and verses 1 and following, we see Abram's, uh, the promise that God gave to Abram. And it says this, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to a land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Do you hear that promise? It's an amazing promise that Abraham Abram received from God. And do you hear how emphatic it is? It's emphatic nature of that promise, but it's also, it's based on God. It doesn't say, Abram, you need to do this this or that. He says, I will do this for you. I will give you, make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. I will make the families of this earth blessed because of you. Like what God did is he took this man and he gave them his precious promise. But, but at this time there was no written word. This was God's word communicated to Abram. 
And as he's receiving this precious word from God, then he says nothing else. He hears nothing else for years. And years go by, but then God in chapter 13 reminds him of this promise. If you look in chapter 13, verses 14 and following, he says, Then the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the lands that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if anyone can count the dust of the earth, your offspring can also be counted. Can you imagine? Now, Abram had heard this precious promise from God in chapter 12, and then years later, he hears it again reiterated in chapter 13. And then Abram goes through life in chapter 14, and he goes through his rescue of Lot and, and all the things that happened. And now we come to chapter 14, and God reiterates that promise again. And what it means to me is this, that we need to hear God's word, and we need to rest in God's promises. See, Abram didn't have a written word like you and I do. You know, this written word is God's word to you, his promises to you, 66 books. And these 66 books speak to you about who God is and who you are and what God plans to do through your life. Abram had to trust in the word that had been given to him verbally. We have a written word to us today. And so now as we look at chapter 15... What I want to try to do today is this. I want to look and give an eagle's eye view of chapter 15. I want to hit some of the key points in chapter 15. But then I really want to rest on verse 6 of chapter 15. Because verse 6 is really the hinge in this whole thing. So let's look at the story here in verse 15. Chapter 15. It says, after these things, after all these things that Abram has experienced, and especially rescuing Lot from this worldly king, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. I want you to see that God began his assurance of Abram by telling him about the fact, I know what your struggle is, you're fearing. There's so many people today that struggle with fear, and I know that they do. I mean, I can do it as, as well in my own life. Fear is where we elevate things and make other things in our lives big, so much bigger than God. And in many ways, I think maybe that's exactly what Abram is thinking, that, you know, maybe he's afraid that this king is going to come and retaliate for the fact that Abram had rescued Lot. Or, or maybe Abram was thinking about the possessions that he turned down from this other king. He was given the opportunity to get some uh, provisions from this other king, and he says, I don't want them. So maybe he's fearful of his physical reality, or maybe he's fearful of, fearful of uh, provisions that he's not receiving. There is something that Abram is fearing, and, and God goes to the very root of it, and he says, fear not. Fear not. And he says, fear not, because I am your shield. I am your defender, Abram. This is so important for us to hear today, that God is our ultimate defender. That the writer, to, uh, as Paul wrote in Romans, he said, uh, do not avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. It is mine to repay. I will repay, says the Lord. That God is our shield. He is our defender. He is our protector. And that's what he wanted to tell Abram. Abram, I want you to hear that I am your shield. But not only am I your shield, second, he says, I am your great reward. Very great reward. That, that God has given us not only protection in our lives, but he's given us himself. And that's really the essence of salvation. It's protection from his wrath. It is protection in heaven, but it is the person of God. He's given us himself. And that's what he's saying to Abram. You're my friend, Abram. I've given you myself. I really love this about this conversation that is happening between Abram and God, that they have a friendship, they have a relationship, and that, that God can communicate to Abram, and Abram can communicate, communicate to God. Watch what Abram does here. He says, but Abram said, verse 2, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and the member of my household will be my heir. And so he is pointing out a major problem. 
And I really love this about Abram. He, he has such a relationship with God that he says, God, I hear your promise, but here's my problem. I've got a difficult problem. You're telling me I'm going to have an offspring. You're telling me my offspring are going to be like the sand of the shores. But I don't even have one child today. And, and Abram is sitting there, and it's like it's been years since he heard that original promise, and nothing has happened since then. And, and maybe that's exactly where you are in life. And, and maybe you have gone through delay after delay, and you've been praying to God, God, please do this for me. And, and God hasn't seemed to answer you. Have you gone through that trial before? I, I, I have. And as you go through it, sometimes you question the promise. And Abram is questioning. He's saying, okay, wait a minute. I don't have this answer. So maybe it's going to be this guy, this per servant in my home. That person's going to be my heir. And God's promise and Abram's problem lead to, to God's solution. He says in verse 4, watch this. And behold, the word of the Lord came. Oh, I love this came to him this man shall not be your heir in the hebrew it's actually emphatic it starts with no not him it's so emphatic that eliezer is not going to be your heir and then what he says is this this man shall not be your heir your very own son shall be your heir I love that, that God recognized the struggles that were filling um, Abram's heart. Maybe it was doubt, you know, doubt or fear. We see that or, or maybe loneliness, you know, as a, as a father, I love having my children around and love being able to connect with them. And without them, maybe there would be a level of loneliness for Abram as he's struggling through this. And it's been 10 years since this promise and he hasn't received anything. And God wants to reestablish his hope. And in the midst of his loneliness, in the midst of his fear, in the midst of his doubt, in the midst of his disappointment, maybe even in the midst of his frustration, that he wants to say to him that I will answer you. You ever wonder why is it that God allows the difficulties in your life? Why is it that he goes, allows you to go through the suffering and the trials of your life? I was just with our prayer group on, on Friday evening, and we were talking from Romans chapter 5, and the height of God's salvation that he's offered us. He says, therefore, we've been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It tells us that we have access to the Father. It tells us that we have hope and glory and all these things. But right on the heels of that, he says, suffering produces perseverance and, and perseverance character and character hope. See, what God does is that he redeems that suffering. He uses those trials. He uses those delays to deepen our faith in him. And that's exactly what he's doing here. He is taking this as an opportunity to display his glory, as an opportunity to evidence our faith that he has granted us. So he says, no, emphatic, this guy will not be your heir. Your very own son will you be your heir. And then God does this amazing thing. He takes Abram outside and he says, I want your life to be driven by this promise. I don't want your life to be driven by positions or provisions and things of this world. I want your life to be driven by this promise. I gave it to you many years ago and now I'm giving it to you again. I told you your, your people will be like the sand of the shores. Now I want to take you outside on this night and I want you to go outside and, and God takes him outside and he says, I want you to look to heaven, Abram. I want you to number the stars if you are able. I, I almost envision Abram sitting there and going, okay, that's one and, and two and three. And it's like, okay, stop, Abram. Don't, don't name the stars. You, you can't even name them. You can't number them. I've numbered them. I've named them. And I will say that your offspring will be greater than the stars in the sky. What an encouragement in the midst of our difficult times is, is God providing for us. God is showing us that he, your, his gift is breathtaking. It's vast beyond measures that, that God has promised us this great encouragement. Your people will be greater than the dust of the earth. Your people will be greater than the stars in the sky, Abram. I want you to trust that I will provide for you. He says, look at them, number them if you can. And then he says, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Oh man. And Abram has this amazing benefit. Now, 
some theologians question that the dust of the ground is on the earth. And they look at the earthly seed of Abram. And Abram is going to have a child. He's going to have Ishmael. And he's also going to have a child, Isaac. And that he's going to have a, a number of people on this earth physically. And some theologians look at the stars and the skies as heavenly. And he's saying that you're going to have a spiritual group of people as well. Not just a physical group, but you're going to have a heavenly group. And, that, and if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're part of Abram's family. So amazing that you're part of this promise that God has just given to Abram. So Abram hears this. He is going through his fears and he's going through his doubts and he's going through his disappointments. He's going through his frustrations. And he, hear, he says, here's my problem, God. And God answers his problem. He says, I'm going to give you a person. I'm going to give you an offspring. And verse 6 is this. And he believed God. There's a significant difference between believing in God and believing God. You know, there are many people in this world that believe that there's a God. Many people will sit in churches this morning or sit in their places this morning thinking about the fact that they have a belief in God. But there's a difference believe I believe in a God versus I believe God. Significant. It is, it is the difference between heaven and hell. It's the difference between life and death. It's the difference between forgiveness and bondage. That I can have a general belief about a God. I can even believe that there is a God. But do I place my faith in God? Do I trust him? And what Abram here believed, he believed God and he, God, counted, my version says, your version may say credited to him as righteousness. It's a legal term, and what, it's an accounting term, and what happens here is this, that Abram had a lack in his account of righteousness, and that God provided that righteousness, and he counted him as righteousness based on his faith. His faith provided the instrument for his belief in God, and that provided the opportunity for righteousness. We'll talk more about that. Let's keep going. But then God doesn't stop there by providing him assurance that I will provide for you or providing him assurance that I, I promise that I will fulfill this. He provides him an assurance through a visual promise. Sometimes we need these things. Sometimes we need to see things. And, and in Abram's case, he didn't have the word, so God gave him an object lesson. And it says here in verse 7, and he said to him, I am the Lord. Once again, he goes back to who he is, his person. He says, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you a land to possess. But he said, watch this conversation again. I love this friendship, this relationship between God and Abram. God says one thing, Abram asks a question, and he says, oh Lord, how am I to know that I shall possess it? Abram is asking a question, once again, with some questions of doubt. You remember the, the man in the New Testament who says, I believe, help my unbelief. Maybe you're like that. Maybe you, you truly believe God, but there are some things that God has promised that you just struggle with, and, and I do as well. And, and God, I want, you to tr I want you to help me to understand and to really trust your promises. And, and Abram here is doing that here in this relationship. He is having this conversation with God, and he says, I just don't understand. You remember back when um, Jesus was born, now, if you remember, his nephew, John the Baptist, was born to Zechariah and Elizabeth. Now, if you remember, Zechariah, when he was in the temple, um, he had received a vision from God that you were going to have a son. And, and he kind of said, yeah, how can this happen, right? He, he asked a question of the angel, but he asked the question with a level of cynicism and skepticism in his heart. That as he asked the question, he, he had a doubt, a deep doubt, that God was ever going to fulfill this. But then a little bit later, we have that same angel going to Mary, and Mary says that she hears that she's going to give birth to a son, and she says, how can this be? I've never been with a man. And so they're both asking questions of some level of doubt, but one is coming from probably a heart of cynicism, and the other is coming from a heart of faith. 
There's a huge difference between the two. And I believe the reason why Abram is not condemned here is because he is asking humbly. He has a godly motive. He has humble submission. He says, God, I want to be obedient to you. I just don't understand. And he says here, watch this. He says, oh Lord, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And then God said to him, bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Now what God is going to do is he's going to take something from their culture, a vehicle from their culture to show to Abram that I am going to keep my covenant promises. And what they were going to do is they were going to cut a deal in essence. They were going to cut a covenant. Now what would happen in this culture is that a a vanquished person would walk through the pieces and the person who has vanquished them would walk through the pieces as well. Or two people in partnership would walk through these pieces. I should probably tell you what happened. Look in verse 10. It says, and he, Abram, brought him all these and cut them in half. I know it's bloody and I know it's uncomfortable, but the reality is is that what they did was they took these animals and they cut them in two. And they laid them, like I'm looking down this aisle here in our church, they laid them side by side and they created an aisle to walk through. Now, as I said, what would normally happen is that the vanquished person would walk through and then the valiant king would walk through behind, or you would have two people making covenant walk walk through side by side. And in essence, what they were saying is this, that if I break this covenant with you, I will become like these dead pieces on the side. That as as you're walking through this bloody mess and you're walking through and you're thinking, if I break my vow, if I break my promise, if I break my commitment, if I break my pledge, I will become like a dead man. Now, normally I said that they would walk through together. Now, what what Abram did was he cut these pieces, and then what happened is this. The birds are coming, and these birds of prey are coming down to eat at the carcasses, and Abram is swishing them away, and he's driving them away. And that's what's going to often happen in our lives. Satan and the world is going to come at you and try to attack you, and you will have to, by God's word, drive those things away, resist the devil, and he will have ultimately free from you. And then in verse 12, beautiful thing. The sun is going down now. And a deep sleep has fallen on Abram. And behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell on him. And the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in this land that is not theirs. And I will be and they and will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years that's the bondage in Egypt and we we know the actual number is about 430 years so this is a rounding here but i will bring judgment on the nations that they serve and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions and as for you you shall go to your fathers in peace and you shall be buried at a, at a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So God, once again, is he's putting him down. He's, he's giving him this vision as he's sleeping, as he's in this deep trance of sleep. And God tells him about the future. And God says, this is what your future is going to be. You're going to have an offspring. And these offspring are going to create these, these, peop- these numbers of people. And you're going to have a tribe of people. And now they're going, to, they're going to go through suffering. And they're going to go through great bondage. And they're going to be in bondage for 400 years. But then I'm going to set my people free. I'm going to take them out of Egypt. And I'm going to take them through the desert. And I'm going to give them a promised land. Oh, what a precious promise. And then he says, I'm going to let you live a long life, Abram. You think you're old now. You're 85 years old. Abram, you're actually going to live. He doesn't, if you look in chapter 25, you'll find out he lived 175 years. He hasn't even lived half his life yet at this point. Abram is going to give this amazing blessing. Uh, God is going to give Abram this amazing blessing. Now, as I said, when you cut this deal or cut this contract, what you would normally have are the two people would go side by side through this. But it gets even more spectacular. Watch this, what happens in verse 17. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot 
and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. To your offspring, I will give this land. Did you see what just happened? Instead of the vanquished person, Abram, and then God walking through behind him, or instead of Abram and God walking to, through it, the pieces side by side, God put Abram to sleep over here, and God himself symbolized in this fire pot and flame. Now, if you're familiar with the scriptures, you probably remember back at, to Mount Sinai. And, and the flame that was there and the thundering that was there. Or as God led his people through the desert, you remember the pillar of fire by night, uh, by day, and the smoke, the smoke and the pillar of fire. You remember those two things. Those were symbolic of God's Shekinah glory. It's God's glory that he would show us and as we look and we'd see this cloud by day, this pillar of fire at night, and we would see this, we would see the presence of God is with us. So what is happening here is just awe-inspiring. I want you to think about this. God himself walked through the pieces alone. See, this is a covenant that God is making, but it is a one-sided covenant. See, as you walk through the pieces, Abram, you can't do this. I'm going to walk through these pieces for you. I am going to keep my word because you are a faithless at times person, but I am a faithful God. My person does not change. My promises do not change. My performance is perfect, Abram. Yours is not. So I'm going to make this promise for you. I will walk through these pieces for you. I'm going to do this alone. And as he walks through, this is the one-sided covenant. This is not a joint covenant between Abram and God equally. This is God's covenant to Abram. And what Abram needed to do was to believe God. Believe him. And so as God walks through this pillar, this, the Shekinah glory that walks through, I can't even imagine as the smoke is happening, Abram is probably struggling just to even breathe. And he's going further and further down. And as he's, he's going further and down, just trying to grasp and gasp for air, he sees God's glory walking through the pieces and his mind must be blown that God is going to keep this covenant for me. And God has given this precious promise to me. He ends this section in verses 18 through following, and he talks about all these different lands that are out there, and he talks about the boundaries of what your promised land is going to be. And he says here that in verse 16, the iniquity of the Amorites has not yet been completed, that that God has predetermined a plan for people's lives, and that God's sovereignty is at work, and God is patiently allowing for his nations to continue to grow, and people to continue to come to faith, and and God is beckoning for people to come to faith in him, and people are out there going to sin against us. So what an amazing story. Abram was promised this great promise years ago, that I'm going to give you all of these blessings. He, he, he received the reiteration of that promise in chapter 13. And then God inaugurates that promise, that covenant, by cutting this covenant. and says, I walk through this pieces together for you. Now, you remember I had said earlier that Abram's life was a physical seed, but then it was also a heavenly seed. This is where it gets even really interesting. I want you to go back to verse 6 for me for a moment. See, if Abram had a bunch of children and received a great land, that would be great, but that's not eternal. It doesn't last. Abram has a problem that you and I have a problem as well. We have a problem because we are sinners. And, And God says that I recognize your sin. You fail. You know, we live in a world today that people believe that their greatest problem is social, relational. And so they will look at other people in their relationships and they will say that they're my greatest problem. We live in a world today that believes that economics are our greatest problem, so we need money. And maybe Abram was even thinking that maybe I turned down this money from this king, maybe I shouldn't have. Have you struggled with that? Maybe you've struggled with the fact that it's relational or maybe you've struggled with economics. For, for some of us, we believe that our greatest problem is status, that, that it's how people view me. 
how people accept me um, and how secure I am in this world and, and, and struggles. For, for other people, they believe that our greatest problem is systemic or structural. That it's the structures that are around us that hold us back. And I want to tell you that the Bible will say that there are relational problems. And there is disadvantaged people that are out there. And that there are people that have really low positions in this world. And that there are structures that are broken. But that's not what the Bible says is our greatest problem. Our greatest problem is that the reason for all of those things is this. They are true, but they are the fruit of the root issue. They are a consequence of the ultimate cause. See, the ultimate cause for humanity's greatest problem, the ultimate cause is not systemic, it's not status, it's not economic, it's not relational. Our greatest problem is us and our sin. See, we are broken and we have failed to trust God. I love this by John Piper. Stay with me for a moment on this. He talks about this as the ultimate evil. Watch this. The ultimate evil is the glory of God is not honored. The holiness of God is not reverenced. The greatness of God is not admired. The power of God is not praised. The truth of God is not sought. The wisdom of God is not esteemed. The beauty of God is not treasured. The goodness of God is not savored. The faithfulness of God is not trusted. The promises of God are not relied upon. The commandments of God are not obeyed. The justice of God is not respected. The wrath of God is not feared. The grace of God is not cherished. The presence of God is not prized. And the person of God is not loved. See, that is our ultimate evil. That God has given us a standard in his word and he has set us out for the goal of glorifying him. And he says a proper motive of our life is to trust God and to love others. But when we don't follow God's ultimate standard and when we don't follow God's glory, it becomes about our standard. And it becomes about our glory. And instead of trust and faith in God, it becomes unbelief in God. And instead of love for God and others, it becomes about hatred and violence. And unlovingness. And that's why we have all the struggles today. And we are broken people. Broken systems, yes. But broken systems because of broken people. And so now we've got a problem. Because if it is true that we are broken and we are committing this evil against God every day, the wrath of God is being built up every single day against humanity. It's almost like a great dam is, is being held back as God's wrath is being held back from pouring out on humanity. And as God is there, how can I avoid that wrath from breaking out on me? That dam looks like it's going to break. How can I avoid that? You need to seek shelter. You need to seek a refuge. You need to seek protection. And where is that found? Abram received a portion of that answer. That answer is found in God. We have received it ultimately. It's found in Christ. That what Christ did for you and me, if you trust in him, is this. That the wrath of God that is built up because we have dishonored him so terribly. That God's anger is built up. But what Christ did for us is that what God did for us, the Father, before this world was ever created, God had planned to send his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. There was this, this covenant, this, relation, this decision between in the Godhead that God the Father provide our, planned our salvation, that Christ was going to provide our salvation, and the Holy Spirit was going to be the pledge of our salvation. And, and this, this relationship, this decision was made even before we were ever born. Even before this world was ever created, God knew we were going to sin and God had already planned a redeemer to come for us. See, righteousness focuses on the character of God, his perfection. But, and we're short of that, terribly short of that. But his righteousness is also a gift that he gives to those that trust in his son. So the righteousness that we need, God provides for us in his son. There's a beautiful passage in Romans chapter 3. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Verse 23. You know that verse. And are justified by his grace. What does justified mean? It means that God has declared us righteous in his sight. Even before we escape the power of sin. 
that I am living in this world and it's not, it's not like I made myself good so that God will make me right. No, no, God has provided rightness for me and then he is going to make me good. Amazing. Justified. It's walking out of the courtroom. I want you to see God as the judge here. And as you're coming before his judgment bar, he, he looks and he says, all of those things that I listed, you haven't honored me, you haven't glorified me, you haven't reverenced me, you haven't seen my beauty, you haven't savored me, all of these things, and condemned, 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 and the wrath that could pour upon us. But then, Jesus Christ says in, I took that for him. I took that for her. Because it came by grace. And that means you can't earn it. You do not deserve it. This justified by his grace as a gift. It was a gift given to you. It's, it's freely offered. That gift of salvation is freely offered. I cannot hold it back. We share it with every person that we know that this precious gift that God has given us is found in his son. But how did that gift get paid? See, I don't pay it. You don't pay it. Who paid it? Somebody had to pay it. It came through the redemption Redemption is that we have been purchased. We've been set free. We've been redeemed. Not with money, not with silver and gold, but what? With the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that in verse continues. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation. Interesting word. Propitiation means this. It means that the wrath of God that we deserve has been removed. I want you to think about this. That those pieces that were lying on the side, that that Abram would have broken covenant and broken promises time after time after time in his life. And he should have become like the dead pieces along the side. But God says this, and for you and for Abram and for me, I will keep the promise. The anger that should have been poured upon you, I poured it upon my son. And as I poured that upon my son, he took it. God put him forward. God publicly displayed him. God provided the wrath-averting work of Christ for you. And he did it by the precious blood of Christ. That meant Christ died for you. And how do we receive it? We don't receive it by works. We are justified by grace through faith. The instrument of our justification is faith. See, Abram believed God. You remember I said earlier that there's a significant difference between believing God and be- believing in a God and believing God. So today I want to I ask you, where are you when it comes to that relationship with God? See, in justification, God... God freely gives you this grace. And it is not free, it costs. And what he does is he pardons all of your sins. And he counts you, like he did with Abram, righteous. He counts you as righteous, even when you're not. And what he does then is it's not based on your character, it's not based on your conduct, it's based on the character and conduct of Christ. That, that what I was lacking and what I deserved the wrath of God to be poured out upon me, he took that for me, but then he gave me righteousness. And that qualifies me for heaven. It qualifies me for being in a relationship with him. Oh, there are so many people today that know the story, but have not trusted in the God. I pray today is the day that you do that. I pray today is the day that you recognize that Christ fully and completely satisfied the justice of God. Some of you today are living a life overwhelmed by guilt. And you are living your life and under condemnation. And let's say you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and you're feeling this guilt. I'm telling you, the reason why is that you have not trust, you have not looked to the cross day after day after day. Some of you are finding yourself living a life of legalism. Law, all the things that you do, your, per, your performance. And you have to continue to do these things over and over again to be saved. And you won't be. You have to be perfect in that. You cannot be saved by your up and down performance. And, and God's grace is greater than your guilt. Some of you today are struggling with great trials. 
Maybe your neighborhoods are really struggling and maybe family members or friends, maybe there's significant problems in your life and, and God doesn't promise that all of those things are going to go away this side of heaven. He doesn't. But what he does promise you is this, that I can take that suffering and I can take those troubles and I can redeem them if you trust in me. So it comes down to this. Abram needed to recognize that he had a, a significant problem. He had moral corruption. He had guilt. He had condemnation. And that the only way that he was going to ever be rescued is that God had to give him a new nature. That God had to forgive him. That the alienation that he had received before, he is now receiving a reconciliation in a relationship. You and I can have that same thing today. We can have it. Trust Christ. Trust Christ. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteous. You're not going to be made acceptable by the things you do. You're not going to be made acceptable by the performances. You're not going to be made acceptable by your vows. You will only be made acceptable when you think about the God that walked through the pieces for you. Jesus Christ was the one that walked through those pieces, and Jesus Christ was actually the one that bore your wrath. God's wrath for your sin. He took that upon himself on cross and Calvary. So as we come home to this, I want you to think about this. As you go through times where God has promised you things and, and you lack assurance. My brothers, my sisters, I, I want you to remind yourself of the person of God. Remind yourself of the God who doesn't fail. The God who is perfect. Remind yourself of him. And, and I, when, when you hear those doubts coming in, I want you to filter those doubts through his word. Remember, remember his promises. But the promises of God are never ending. They don't stop. He has provided for you. I don't want you just to trust in the person of God, not just trust in the promises of God. I want you to think about the performance of God, his action. He, he went to Abram and he came to us in Christ. And as you think about his person, his promises, his performance, bring your doubts to the cross. God can, God can calm your fears. God completely understands your doubts. God doesn't want a skeptic. He doesn't want a cynic. And if you're there, you need to repent. But if you are struggling and just I just don't understand, bring them to God. He wants to hear it. He really does. Remind yourself that he is your defender. Cling to the promises that he's given you. Wrap them around you like a blanket, a warmth. I want you to remind yourself that hope is not a wishful thinking, crossing your fingers. It is a confident expectation that God is at work. I want you to remember who God is. I want you to remember who you are in God. I want you to remember the, the eternal perspective, the promises that God has promised you. And I want you to run to the cross every single day. For those of you that don't know Christ, all of those promises that I had said earlier are only for those that are in Christ. This is the uh, difficult part here. That if you've never trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior, the wrath of God is being built up. It hasn't been averted and it's going to pour out upon you. We see signs of it in our nation. We see signs of it in the world. All the chaos and all the confusion, all the anger and all the vitriol, all that stuff is a byproduct of the fact that we've failed to follow God's standard, failed to follow God's glory, and failed to believe him. And that's why we're acting in unloving and ungodly ways. And that will only change when you recognize that you can't, but he can. You can't walk through the, that aisle only God can do that for you. I pray today is the day that you would go from just believing in a God to believing God. Believe him. Trust him. Turn to Christ. Turn your eyes upon him. Just as I am without one plea, but that, that blood was shed for me. And God is bidding you, come. Come today. Would you pray with me? Lord, there are so many people today that are lacking assurance. So many people today that are doubting. 
so many people today that are frustrated. So many people today are, are even disappointed. I dare say even disappointed with you. That they've, they've prayed to you and they've asked you. And it doesn't seem like you've answered. A delay doesn't mean that you're not answering. A delay only means that it's a delay from our viewpoint. It's not a delay from your viewpoint. You have a perfect timing for this. So Lord, I, I pray that you would help us to trust you. Help us to believe you and help us to believe your promises and help us to believe in the performance that you've done for us. Lord, I know that there are people here that have never trusted in your son. They've heard the good news of the gospel and they have never bent their knee. We will never be saved by our works. The only instrument of our salvation is faith and that instrument was given to us by grace. So Lord, I pray that you would give that grace to people that they can trust in you. Open their eyes Give them a new heart. Give them ears to hear. But for the many of us, Father, that do know you today, that are listening here, that are here in this auditorium or out there hearing us, Lord, I pray that they would hear more than me. I pray that they would hear you, that you are a promise keeper. Help them to have a promise-driven life, not a worldly-driven life, not a possession-driven life, not even a systemic driven life, but a promise driven life. And remind us all those promises are yes in Christ. Help us to run to the cross today and help us to bring glory and honor to your name today in Jesus' matchless, holy, powerful name we pray. Amen and amen. Blessings, everyone.